Welcome to To Relura, the podcast where we are exploring folk songs and we being myself, Christian Duxted, and my good friend Josh O'Loughlin over there in Ennis, County Clare during COVID-19 lockdown. How are things? Oh, things are mighty. It's absolutely wild out there tonight. And I'm not talking about parties. <laughs> it's wet and windy, cold and rainy, County Clare. Is so it what now? What can you do? I've got a lovely bit of uh, um, what type of tea did I say it was? It's a it's a green, green tea, tea with, green tea with hints of jasmine, and I threw a bit of honey in there for good measure. Uh we had a whole before we started the recording here today. We had a whole a whole uh, discussion on how Josh was going to get his crystallized honey into his tea. We ended up. Uh, I I ended up suggesting pouring some some hot water into it, and luckily ha- he had a little bit left in his kettle, so there was a bit of shaky shaky action going. And yeah, I might uh, have even gone for a little bit too much water because the honey now sounds a little bit like I don't know if you can hear that. That's it's not fairly, a sound uh, you want on a podcast. <laughs> 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 we'll say nothing, but it's fairly liquefied, if you know what I mean. I thought it just uh make it a little bit more malleable but it didn't it just liquefied the whole thing but sure i was still able to put it in the tea anyway so yeah, is the tea, in the is right the direction tea, is the tea good does it's, it taste good it's sweet i think there was a bit more honey in the water than i expected if you know what i mean <laughs> honey in the water that almost sounds like a folk song i'm also drinking tea i uh being the oh listen to that <laughs> Being, being again, a absolute... sound that could be easily confused on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Being the absolute wannabe that I am, I'm drinking. I'm drinking a proper uh, cup of berries here. I made myself a whole pot uh, of a liter. Being uh, also being the, being the doing being things a metric... by the book Scandinavian that you are. You also used loose tea leaves of berries. yeah, loose loose tea leaves in in a lovely uh, teapot that I've had for the past 10 years, actually, that uh, many people in other countries would consider the more conventional way of drinking tea. But in Ireland, we tend to go for the tea bags before the loose tea, which yeah. is interesting. Well, it, it is handy, absolutely. But but when you're when you're going for a full pot like this, when when you're drinking a liter, as you do when you you have a podcast uh, session, then it's uh, it's handy to actually go with the loose leaf. But I'm drinking berries actually, all the way from Ireland. Uh, best before sometime in twenty. 19 i believe but still like taste is more or less the same to be honest like you stocked up the last time you were here thinking you'd be here again sooner than you have been yeah and it's similar to me there doesn't there usually isn't a year doesn't go by when me and christian haven't been to norway and ireland respectively yeah but 2020 is an exception to the rule That is that is very true. And and as people might have gathered, I'm not in Ireland. I'm in Oslo. Uh, also, COVID uh, lockdown over here, if not as strict as over there in Poblacht uh, we we can we can at least we the shops are open, the restaurants are are open, but but there's there's definitely. Uh, uh, a low level of social contact at the moment so so we're glad to have zoom we're glad to be able to do a bit of podcast recording and this is a um, podcast uh, that is exploring folk songs because that is 
usually what we do when we are t- together. We we play tunes and we drink pints and we sing songs and travel and play and drink and sing over <laughs> and over again. Uh, so the last few episodes we've uh, we've primarily looked at uh, a few very Irish related songs, very very much tied to Irish culture. If not if not written by Irish people, we we don't know about. For example, Finnegan's Wake, uh, but but definitely very Irish related. But today we're taking a step, or maybe not. Well, we're taking a step onto a ship that is bound for America, and uh, if you don't have uh, anything else you want to say before we go for it, Josh. No, I think no? I'm good. Then I would like to say, Josh, would you please set the scene? Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth upon this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. The Wall Street panic, in my opinion, is over. It had to come. Stock speculation had become crazy. Like an appendix operation, it's a good thing to have it over with. I never went over the top that I wasn't scared. I was scared stiff. And everyone shouted because more or less we were all scared. One of the atomic reactors at the Chernobyl atomic power plant near the city of Kiev was damaged. And there is speculation in Moscow that people were injured and may have died. Over the, the, the lice eating the flesh off the live ones and the rats scourging themselves on the bodies of the dead. It was a lovely, real happy time, wasn't it? We were the foam on Atlantic coffin ships. The fires of frustration and discord are burning in every city. Romantic Ireland's dead and gone. It's with O'Leary in the grave. I am speaking to you from the cabinet room at 10 Downing Street. This country is at war with Germany. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will When the road you're trudging seems all uphill When the funds are low and the debts are high And you want to smile, but you have to sigh When care is pressing you down a bit Rest if you must, but don't you quit Life is strange with its twists and turns as every one of us sometimes learns and many a failure comes about when he might have won had he stuck it out don't give up though the pace seems slow you may succeed with another blow success is failure turned inside out the silver tint of the clouds of doubt and you never can tell just how close you are it may be near when it seems so far so stick to the fight when your hardest hit when things seem worst that you must not quit
So thank you very much, Josh, for bringing us along on that journey through history. Uh, a lot of hard times that were depicted in that little sequence. And, and that is that is what we're talking about here. It's it's hard times and the dream of them uh, not haunting us. Would that be right to say? I think so, yeah. Do you think there's light at the end of the tunnel? I think the whole point of the song is to to show that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel and that we're aiming towards something and that there's always better times ahead. Do you think there is a light at the end of the tunnel? I certainly hope so. There are so many things that have... Uh, obviously, like if this, this is just repeating every day of news for the past almost a year now, but, but with all the things that have been cancelled and now the outlook of the same things being cancelled again uh in 2021 uh, it's it's quite terrible so um so i'm i'm definitely looking forward uh to to that light and i i think it is there but but just to give a few facts here before we really get stuck in we're obviously we're talking about a song called hard times come again no more it's written by a very important character in folk music history named stephen foster and the song uh, was first published in 1854 which makes it roughly a hundred and what now 70 years old which definitely qualifies as being a trad song uh, even though we have a name for for the composer but like as opposed to many of the songs that we we tackle that are written by either unknown people this Stephen Foster was uh, a very significant person he he is by many considered like the most important songwriter of of that era of American uh, music. You hear about Stephen Foster and you hear the name and you know the name and you recognize the name, but I never realized until we actually looked into him and looked him up, like the scope of music that he had composed that's so well known around the world and how prolific he was as a songwriter. Yeah, you're definitely the, the, the more familiar with old American music uh, of the two of us. So, so I, I cannot say that I'm, I'm, uh, very familiar with Stephen Foster, but, but it's very interesting when you, when you read about him. Even the likes, the likes of songs, like even just a quick glance at his list, it says he wrote more than 200 songs, including Oh Susanna, Oh Susanna, Don't You Cry For Me. Um, another one is Countdown Lady, Sing This Song, Oh Da Do Da Day. Like all of those songs, Beautiful Jeez, Dreamer. Is, is that him, All the Do That's, Da Day? Yeah. Oh, the dude Jeez, is Stephen Foster. Have just a, a quick sidestep here. Um, there was, when I was a child, there was a Danish sort of uh, pop group uh, called the Cartoons, I believe, that had a version of that song. Uh, <laughs> there it is. I, Camp, I, Camp Town Races by Stephen Foster. Oh, yeah. Cartoons DK was a bubblegum dance and country pop band from Denmark in, let's see, 1996 they started out. I was four years at the time, but they kept on going until 2006. And they had a version of Camptown Races. I'm I'm just going to give people a little nugget of entertainment here by checking out what it's called. Cartoons this much it's from the their first album called tunage 
or Tunage. And the song was called Duda, D-O-O-D-A-H. And from the same uh, album, you have hits such as Witch Doctor, which starts, <laughs> come on, Witch Doctor, give us the magic words. Okay. <laughs> ooh ee ooh ah ah tang tang walla walla bing bang. I remember Do you know it? I remember it well. Ooh, oh Jesus ooh, ah, Christ! Ah, ting tang, walla walla bing bang. It actually featured in the Rugrats movie as well. Oh my God, Jesus! Well, Duda, that's that's a tip to yeah, everyone. Yeah, so you out can there. see basically where we're coming from there. Like you can see how prolific Stephen Foster was as a songwriter because everyone knows these songs and still knows them two hundred years later. Yeah, insane, insane. You might not uh, know the name, but you'll recognize the name. At least I did. And when you delve into it, you kind of go. Oh, Jesus, that's who he is. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Like the reason I'll get into this for a second. The reason that I wanted to do this song and work on this song for the podcast is actually because on New Year's Eve, they had a feature on RTE TV where they went around the world and they looked at different ports and harbors and major cities around the world completely empty, like laid bare because of the coronavirus. I would like to think that's why and not for any other reason. Hopefully not anyway, but the cities were empty and quiet and absolutely nothing happening. You saw the lights in the big cities. You saw calm serenity in the smaller kind of villages and towns. And they featured a couple of seconds of each place around the world with fireworks. And they played this song and it really pulls at the heartstrings like it hits you hard. When I saw it, I just said, wow, I had completely forgotten about that song, but that song speaks so much to what's happening in the world today and what's going on that I just thought it was a really good one to take a look at. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I think like immediately when you when you mentioned the song it was very easy uh to to get into the to the idea of 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 hard times come again no more because obviously like every every generation has their hard times and and sometimes like it's it's hard to know exactly what the world is going to throw at you but i think that most people will agree that the coronavirus is definitely one of the hardest times that we as a generation have uh, sure it's definitely as as an entire global generation it most definitely is like how many other things in history there's definitely a few i know but how many other things in history would you say had a global effect it's so alien and foreign to think of something like we look at it on our doorstep and we feel it and we see it and we suffer from it but there's so many things that people wouldn't realize have a global effect like this is something that affects everyone it doesn't feel like it when you're sitting in a room drinking tea here but this is everybody not just us like do you think that that has happened often in history uh to that it, extent, no, no. Is there definitely. a place in the world that this hasn't been touched by? Other, Asi- well, aside from isolated islands off the coast of fucking Tahiti, yeah, you know or what I mean, d- yeah. Or, like I was reading the other day that even the someone mentioned to me that even the plantations or the local settlements in the tip of the north and even in the south, like they've found cases of this. It's just it's amazing to me how global this has become. Yeah. We never would have no, expected it this time last year when we heard about it first. And we said, oh, that, that sounds a bit strange. And we just kind of waved it off as something insignificant because it wasn't on our doorstep. But how little did we know? Yeah. You 
Oh yeah, absolutely. There's there's a radio clip that has been it has gone viral in Norway, but there is a radio clip from from January last year from a from a show on on Norwegian radio, one of the music stations, <laughs> with a with a host saying that like really playing the coronavirus down, just going, oh my god, it's just a tiny little virus, can people get their heads out of their asses and stop. <laughs> Stop panicking How does he about feel it. Feel no. Oh, oh, he's he's definitely uh, uh, he's admitted his mistake and uh, <laughs> he's been given loads of shit for it, but like in a funny way. Uh, but but yeah, it it was definitely at a point there, like, and for good reason as well, like because you remember, like this is obviously COVID is another SARS virus, and and we yeah. had a, a SARS epidemic a few years ago in mm -hmm. in asia and like it never reached us and i feel like we're sort of we're used to things happening on the other side of the world that like you hear about them in the news but but they don't really affect you yeah i don't like yeah. to bring everyone down talking about this too much like you hear enough about it we tried to be an escape in general but it's a good time to just give a mention to the scope of this and uh talk about that based on the song because we wanted to talk a little bit of hard times in the past versus now and to compare and contrast like it's just really interesting that this one in particular is on such a global scale like there's been plenty of hard times and and through throughout our generation as well like there's been terrorism there's been uh terrible natural catastrophes like flood waves and 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 terrible things but this is like almost in a sort of i i would i would never go as far as to call coronavirus a bit romantic but but there's something about the, the fact that we're all touched on some level and we're all sort of experiencing it together at the same time in in another episode we talked about the 1798 rebellion in in ireland and how that was was part of the spirit of the times with the French yeah. Revolution in in 1789 and the American Revolution in 1776. And there sort of was a that spirit of enlightenment, the spirit of freedom, of overthrowing tyrants. You get a ripple effect from a kind of a global consciousness, I suppose, that spills over into other nations. Yeah, yeah. And... and in a very different way, obviously, because this isn't as much as a, it doesn't have anything to to do with like a mental wave of of knowledge or or anything like that. But it touches us all, and it feels like we're very much, even though this this is in many ways we're less of a global community now than we've been like all of our lives. There's yeah. never been less air travel. I'm I'm going out on a limb here. I don't exactly have numbers on this, but but no, you're I dead would right. Like it's we were only saying it the other day. I was taking a walk down in nature in the middle of the fields with my uncle down here in County Clare, and we looked up in the sky and we saw an airplane, and he was really surprised to see the chemtrails and to see the airplane, and he yeah. said, "Have you noticed how few of them there has been in the last yeah. few months? Because there was there was never a time that you could really walk around outside without seeing them." And now yeah, we don't see yeah. them at all. And it's it's not until you see one and realize that they haven't been around that you realize how few there have been. And uh, yeah, it just yeah. hit it hit home but, but, how little air travel has been happening and that kind of thing. Like, you're right. 
we're we're expected to be more together as a community globally than we've ever been we've never been as far apart yeah but but at the same time everyone is sort of in the same mind frame as well like yeah. so so it's it's a very strange one and and obviously we're not going to play down the fact that this is like it is terrible for a lot of people it has been the end of a lot of people this coronavirus and a lot of people have died and and that is is obviously terrible but for yourself and for me and for a lot of people especially in our position like in in our age group relatively young relatively healthy people in a western uh country our lives are changed completely by the fact that we're just locked down at home mm-hmm. skyping zooming <laughs> talking to to friends on the internet staying at home it's so surreal and strange but then you think about when things go back to normal and i think because this has been going on for so long now when we do go back to the way things were that's going to be really surreal and strange too like a, yeah i was reading about someone who has developed agoraphobia because of everything that's happened and She's seen a therapist and the therapist has talked about this and actually said the best way to deal with your agoraphobia is to get out. But she can't. She's not allowed. So she's worried that by the time this is over, she's going to be an absolute hermit. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But like, it's it's just like, it's amazing the different things to think about when you think about what's actually going on and the different way it affects people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's been quite a lot of terrible things happening the the past few years. But if we go further back in history, then obviously, like since we're talking a lot about Ireland and Irish traditional music and Irish culture and and history, the the famine would would definitely be one. Mm-hmm. On a, at least on a national scale in Ireland, it yeah. would have affected. But the famine, like in turn, affected people all over the world too. Like because people knew what was going on. And they had yeah. to deal with that. Even like during the famine times, it actually went like the scope of it went as far as the Native Americans over in America, because during the famine, we actually got funding sent to us from a Native American tribe. I'm not going to go as far as to name the tribe off the top of my head because I can't remember which tribe it was. But a small group of Native Americans in America heard the plight of the Irish people during the famine and saved up as much as they possibly could and sent money to fund us at the time and to help us keep going. And recently that tribe fell on hard times in America and the Irish started a a GoFundMe page for them and sent them several million euro as as a thank you. That happened in 2020. That's the most amazing. Where... Where can people read more about that story? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna look that up. Um, yep. Why a Native American community sent aid? Irish donors are helping a Native American tribe face the coronavirus crisis because they were basically like getting wiped out by coronavirus. Here's the historical reason why. For anyone listening, I'm getting this from Time.com, which is Time Magazine over in America. So I'm just going to give you a little taste of this a native american community severely hit by covid19 has received an outpouring of donations from the irish as covid19 has swept throughout the navajo nation so it was the navajo tribe yeah. at least at least 2373 cases and 73 deaths as of may 3rd irish donators have contributed to the nation's gofundme campaign 
a return of a historic favour from 1847. As a result, as that act of generosity has grabbed headlines across the globe, it has also drawn attention to a perhaps surprising moment from the past. During the Irish famine in the 1800s, the Choctaw Nation sent $170 of relief aid to Irish people, despite facing hardship themselves. When the Navajo Nation GoFundMe campaign came to the attention of the Irish through social media, they decided to reciprocate the historic act of goodwill. That and you can check money. that out. If, if you look that up, it's on time.com and it's Native American Irish Famine. And there's a big story about that. And they go into detail and they explain it. But it's a really interesting thing that happened that we, we received a relief fund. It, it equates to 5,000 Irish euros today or something along those lines. But at the time it was $170 and they sent that to us regardless of the fact that they were going through hardship themselves at the time. Mind-blowing. And we've returned what the favour. Like, how... I'm, I'm not sure how much money we actually raised for them, but there's definitely several million euro, if I'm not mistaken, that's been sent over to the Navajo Nation as of 2020 as a return favour, a thank you for what they did for us during the famine. Amazing. Just That's just amazing. <laughs> Had you not heard that no story idea. before? No, that's that's complete news to me. Yeah, it's a good one, isn't that, it? That's that's fantastic. The feeling of being in the same boat is very strong, even though we 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 yeah. can't actually travel. We can't meet. I I love I love that story. I love the fact that that they did that. A hundred and fifty hundred. Well, actually, at the same time as as this song was written, only yeah. only seven years before. Hard Times Come Again No More was written uh, and Native American tribe sent sent money to Ireland. And we're talking uh, not a very globalized time. We're talking Native American people that definitely, most definitely had never been to Ireland. So how that came about, that's yeah, that's very interesting to me. And this is but, most definitely a time in American history when they were they were having a very tough time. Like they had just like the plantations in America had just taken. Obviously, they had taken hold several hundred years before that, but the American War for Independence that you mentioned already was only between 70 and 100 years before this was when the Americans established their independence from England over there. Yeah, yeah. So they had claimed all of this land from the Native American nations, and they were probably never at a worse place in their lives than they were at that time. Yeah, and and this is this is just before the Civil War as well. Just yeah. started in eighteen eighteen sixty one, uh. So, yeah, no, um, amazing, and and obviously the the Native Americans obviously weren't the the only the only group of people that had a very hard time in early United States. The slaves and slavery was uh, a big thing, and obviously we we don't have to go into history, but civil war broke out only only a few years after the song was written and mr F foster was uh, he he was involved in a very strange and today very frowned upon upon tradition but a lot of his music was performed by uh, minstrel bands is is that correct josh mm -hmm. minstrel bands that would have traveled the world yeah and and this is like the the real origin of the blackface i won't go as far as to call blackface a tradition but the concept of blackface which today obviously is is not okay and obviously shouldn't have been okay back then but but history is history 
and there's not much we we can do about that but many of foster's songs were performed by by minstrel bands can i i'm not very familiar with minstrel bands but i know that you did have studied the banjo has come across this quite a lot it's very closely tied to the history of the banjo in america and in ireland in a way the uh, formation and the travel of the minstrel bands and it's linked to vaudeville and dixieland music touring up and down america before it eventually became international yeah it's like you said it's a not not a pretty part of history but most definitely it's a part of history it's interesting the journey the banjo took from africa to america and subsequently back to europe because in africa it was originally i know i'm going off on a tangent here talking about the banjo but i think the songs work in a similar way if you know what i mean in certain oh yeah definitely and it's a good thing to talk about just like you can get a lot of parallels between the journey of the banjo and the journey of the culture and the music and the people and all of that so when the slaves were taken from Africa originally and brought to America, they brought their instruments, they brought their culture, they brought their singing, their dancing, their lives, everything. And they had an instrument in Africa called the Akonting. A-K-O-N-T-I-N-G. Akonting. And the Akonting was basically a huge hollowed out piece of fruit with a stick on the end of it and gourd strings, which is gut strings. When that got over to America... It evolved into the mountain banjo, which is a different type of banjo, and eventually evolved into the five string banjo in America, which was used, like I said, for the likes of vaudeville, Dixieland, all that kind of music, which was very, very popular at the time. And minstrel bands would have played that music. And the minstrel bands, a lot of ideas and notions from this type of music originally would have come from the slaves. Yeah, yeah. So those slaves were performing music, but sadly at the time they wouldn't have been allowed to perform on a stage or to perform in public. But the music itself was quite interesting and considered high class by the upper class individuals. And they would have taken the music itself and turned it into a more upper class fancy thing. And how would they perform it on stage? They created the minstrel bands to mimic what was happening. Yeah. If you know what I mean. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Super, super interesting how how the both the instrument and, and the musical traditions uh, have have traveled and obviously merged as, as Stephen Foster uh, and it's was. also the reason why the majority of these songs and music and the banjo itself came back to Europe because the minstrel, the minstrel bands became so popular in America that they became some of the first ever bands to tour the world playing on stages because this music was becoming so renowned all around the world. The likes of Foster would have sent his scores, his sheet music all around the world because as I explained in a different podcast, the popular music of the time, there was no radios, there was no electronics, there was no way of hearing the music. So if there was a pop song at the time, someone would go to the shop and they would buy the score or the sheet music from the shop and they would bring that back to their parlor and they would play the piano while everyone in the room sang. So every version (laughs) might have been a little bit different, but that music was doing the rounds not just in America, but around the world. So if they see that the likes of Stephen Foster is selling a lot of copies of his songs in Ireland, then suddenly the minstrel bands are saying, hang on a minute. We have a following in Ireland. Let's go to Ireland. And that's where Joel Walker Sweeney comes in. And Joel Walker Sweeney is credited as the first ever man to play a banjo on a stage. Before this, the banjo would have been considered a plantation thing, something that came from Africa, something lower class. 
Joel Sweeney joined minstrel bands and he was a member of a band called the Virginia Minstrels. And okay. he would he would have traveled to Ireland with the Virginia Minstrels and brought the banjo with him. And that would have been the first time that a banjo was seen on the shores of Ireland, which is interesting Jeez. enough. Now, he would have been a five string banjo player and a lot of people credit him as the person who gave the banjo the fifth string, which isn't true. But um, I won't get into that. <laughs> I if, won't get into this. If what? if 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 you want to learn more about the banjo, just drop Josh a message and he'll he'll post you his masters for for a small <laughs> fee. We can uh, do a little uh, banjo related podcast sometime in the future. We won't get into the nitty gritty of it now, lest we become too uh, boring and what's the word topical for all you <laughs> non non banjo enthusiasts out there. <laughs> but but it is it is good to talk about how the intermingling of of culture and obviously like foster being a a white man Mm -hmm. uh uh, writing writing music for the minstrel bands being uh white people mimicking just to put out there as well that the majority of these songs weren't necessarily solely written for minstrel bands like they it it isn't an entire racist culture that built around these songs even though some of the songs are racist and we don't condone them in the slightest but a lot of these songs are not written in a negative way or in a derogative standpoint at all they weren't written for minstrel bands they were just picked up by the minstrel bands and brought around the world there are a lot of these songs that are very popular that are still very popular that should not be considered racist in my opinion oh yeah absolutely and and there's there's no as far as i know there's there's no there's no mention of any any uh, slavery or slavery related in hard times come again no more it's just that foster was was very much um uh, much of his music a lot of his songs were played by the minstrel bands but hard times come again no more there's actually here um, a little excerpt from a uh, library of congress where quote and i'm just going to read this uh it says that melodically it belongs to the category of minstrel songs a four-part chorus is included however there is no dialect no mention of slavery or other minstrel themes and the song is described on the cover simply as one of foster's melodies in fact and when we're talking covers it's obviously not a cd or a vinyl cover it's the cover of the sheet music and it it goes on to say in fact the most ethnic air quotes ethnic feature of hard times come again no more is its basis in a melody that foster heard as a child in an african-american church in lawrenceville pennsylvania so it's it's so like it's so intertwined everything and and we could go even further like now we've talked about we talked about the banjo coming from africa to america we've talked about slaves we've talked about the minstrel bands just in terms of the thing i was saying about the banjo coming to ireland through america with joel walker sweeney he came to ireland in the early 1840s and he would have continued touring in ireland over the 40s 50s 60s which is really interesting because it was during famine times, but that was the time when they came to Ireland. And um, basically what I wanted to say was he didn't just bring the banjo. He also brought songs and very well, Hard Times Come Again No More might have been one of those songs that came to Ireland with the Virginia Minstrels, which was one of the first performances of minstrel bands in the north of Ireland. 
And it's where a lot of these songs would have first been heard in Ireland. So that may actually, I'm not saying it 100% is, but that very well may be where that song was first heard in Ireland. The Virginia Minstrels and Joel Walker Sweeney. Yeah. And and that that is, that's highly plausible. Hard Times Come Again No More is, is very much, uh, it's a very... Uh, ingrained song in in both Irish and and Scottish culture by the, by the looks of it, like there's an awful lot of people I know that would not even have known that this is originally an American song. Like the majority of people I talked to would consider this to be probably a Scottish song. To me, I thought it was a Scottish song until I actually delved further into it and looked it up and realized that it was written by Stephen Foster. And other people might think it's an Irish song. This song has become so ingrained in so many different cultures and traditions that unless you actually know where it comes from, you will think that it's local to you. It's a very universal theme and topic too, though, so I can understand why. Yeah, and and that says something about the the melody, the melody too. I I think that that folk music is is very much. Uh, an international language and obviously you have your regional differences and your national differences and, and some some music is is highly unique but but especially when when you're talking about america which to to uh to beat up an old uh, an old saying the melting pot or the salad bowl, bowl or whatever you want to call it like the the irish and scottish culture is is very much a part of that identity or that cultural expression as well, which which obviously would have affected Foster as well. He being he being a, a son of uh, at least like he had Ulster Scots and English ancestry. It's all just like the threads here go in every direction. Like you have the banjo from Africa to America, you have the banjo from America to to Ireland with the minstrel bands. You have the Scots and the and the Irish uh, over to to America and to the Appalachian region, where it's sort of the Irish uh, and Scottish music uh, mingled with the, the s- s- music of the slaves and created what we know today as as bluegrass, where you have sort of uh, the fiddles of Ireland and Scotland played together with banjo and and has that that cultural. Yeah, I I don't even know what to call it. Like, but it's it's the thing it's, we talked about as well, where like we mentioned it in the last podcast too about like happy melodies deriving from really dire and grim situations, where we come up with these styles of music and fast happy dance music kind of vibes, so that we can forget our troubles for a brief moment in time, which is the essence of hard yeah. times come again no more as well. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a very good point too. At th- that time in in history, very many people ha- had more or less nothing but hard times. But they were happy. Even Foster himself <laughs> fell on hard times throughout his life. Like his parents lost their home very early in his life, from what I've read, and he spent a lot of his life not really knowing where home was, and he had problems with alcoholism. And towards the end of his life, he even he died young, and he had a very uh strange death if i remember correctly what did we oh yeah yeah that? he fell he he tripped and fell in in a hotel and bled out that's what it sounded like and he, then there's he, he had been diagnosed as ill yeah. and he wasn't well 
but he was weak because of his sickness and he fell and something cut him or something but he he died yeah. from his injuries as opposed to from his illness what was it he said again I'm done or I'm done for there was for. a quote I think it was I'm, I'm done, done for, for. <laughs> let's see yeah he had wonderful big brown eyes and they looked up at me with an appeal I can never forget and he whispered I'm done for that's a quote and this, from, that's this a quote is, from uh, Mr. George Cooper who was with Foster until he died and that's from yeah. the historian Joanne O'Connell in her biography The Life and Songs of Stephen Foster I'm yeah. done for I'm, I'm done, done for What's, what would <laughs> famous last like it's like I, I can't really decide whether or not I think it's a, a good way to go or not to, or a good set of last words like what what would you say would you I, I think that would be fairly obvious at that point that he is done <laughs> for do you really need uh, to spend your last little bit of energy uh, to to just make that point I just want to point out here that I studied Hamlet in school and <laughs> I can't exactly remember but someone is killed in Hamlet and as the sword goes through him and he lands to the floor and dies. His last words are, Alas, I am dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to strive to make that happen whenever, whenever the day comes. And, and, <laughs> and, and I'm about to cross over. Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a point of having my last words be something along the lines of, I'm dead. Or, <laughs> this is it, lads. This is it. See you on the other side. The famous joke. What's the one question in the world that you can't answer yes to? Are you asleep? Are you dead? <laughs> Are you oh, dead oh. would be another one, yeah. <laughs> 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 but the, jo- the joke, the, the punchline of the joke is, Are you asleep? But are you dead would be just as equally uh, entertaining. I think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry to be making well, a, la- a laugh out of poor Stephen Foster's last moments. Interesting choice of last words, I think, is the way to go with that. What would yeah. your last words be in reality, Christian? Yeah. If you had a choice, if I, I, I don't know. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that I could pass on some, some knowledge or some useful, just something. Uh, but I would probably make a point of 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 having a big secret. I've sort of I've uh I've given small like hints and tips on that I I I'm I have something uh something big that I can't tell people and then and then maybe I don't I I don't actually have don't that give it away. and then the treasure is buried and then in the- at the last moment I'm like and the big secret was nothing and then <laughs> How about yourself? I've got two million euro buried in a bag in the... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yes. Interesting choice, but but doesn't take away from, from the fact that he, he, he was <laughs> a famous songwriter, very important, died extremely young. It's, it, it would be interesting to see what, what he would have made if he had lived longer, but, but then again, like, as far as I remember, he he died in his late thirties. He he was thirty seven or something, uh, yeah. and and like it would be it would definitely be interesting to see what what he would have come up with if had he lived longer. But then again, like 
there that's that's the truth for for many artistic geniuses like to mention one like look at his legacy that he had yeah but his legacy is incredible for a man of 37 yeah but 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 look at look at the likes of of Robert Burns died very young as well and uh obviously there's it's Mozart f- yeah and it's the famous 27 club and then you have guys like the the, the amazing if if people are into celtic music uh outside of of like folk songs they're, they're Gordon Duncan uh famous bagpiper yeah. like really a, the the modern the modern world of like Celtic Highland piping could very much like he was a significant char- character there and uh, he died very young. So like I I think there's obviously like it depends a little bit on how they die. But a lot of people uh, that are very artistic have uh, other challenges in their lives that that very often uh, is the end of them. Do you think that that comes with? the artistic genius and the lifestyle or is it something else i i that's do you think it happens because of the artistic brain or does the artistic brain happen because of the other thing chicken and the egg there i it's it's hard to say i i think it's it's probably a little bit of both that uh, the artistic brain is is very uh, very often very uh very emotional very prone to anxiety and depression and like uh, they go around with their heart on their sleeve so, it's, so that mm-hmm. could be that could be very hard but then uh, the artistic lifestyle isn't necessarily especially if you go a couple of hundred years back but even now like there's there's a lot of drink and a lot of late nights and a lot of feeling unproductive and a lot of uh things to that could really be uh, hard on on both physical and mental uh, health. So do you think it's better to be such an artistic genius and have those issues or to never have the art at all? Well, definitely for the rest of us, uh, it's it's great that the people exist. And, and like it's it's a shame for for him, but he's... He, both Foster and and all the other people that we mentioned, they they do the world a favor, and it's it's a great tragedy when when people die that young. Uh, but but no, definitely, I'd I'd rather have the art than have everyone live well into their hundreds and and just be boring. But yeah, we went down a little rabbit hole there. I know we've delved a little bit far from. Stephen Foster and his little song Hard Times Come Again No More my question now is do you think every generation sees hard times oh yeah most definitely absolutely every generation will see have have seen hard times and will see hard times and in in varying degrees of of globalism as with COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. as we've talked ex- extensively about, it's it's affecting everyone all over the world, and and people have uh, some generations have have more local local uh, hard hardships, and 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 some generations have have hardships based on on the time they live in, and and we it's safe to say that no one 
has had it better than us in in many ways like especially us that are lucky enough to live in the western world in the rich countries of mm-hmm. of this this era that like if you go back to the 1800s like obviously there compared to today like the evolution of how how far has medicine evolved how far has human rights evolved like we are in a, an amazing position and it's pretty safe to say that at least if you believe in in humanly created climate change that the people that come after us will have have it harder than than what we have yeah as well so i mean look at the likes of me and you sitting here on opposite sides of the world recording a podcast if yeah this is like if you look at that compared to the spanish flu in 1918 1919 is that when it was i think so yeah like, yeah if world war one had been going on with rations and people dying left right and center plus the irish war for independence being in the heart of that plus the spanish flu hitting ireland yeah with uh, fucking all of this quarantining and I don't know if social distancing even existed back then. Probably masks didn't exist. Like the likes of schools wouldn't have been as busy back then and that kind of thing wouldn't have happened. But could you imagine being hit with a triple whammy like that? World War One, War of Independence, Spanish flu and having no internet and no social standing. Yeah. Like, there was absolutely no way of sitting at home in a room and still being social with friends or people around or the world. Or working, for that matter. Like, uh, I mean, very many people have obviously been hit hard work-wise, but very many people have actually been able to take their laptop home and sit and work from home, which is amazing. Yeah. Think about that. That's That's mm-hmm. insane. So... Yeah, no, no, a triple whammy like that would would be. And I'm probably there's other factors in there that I'm not even considering, you know. Yeah. Like I'm not even thinking about other things that may have been happening at the time. Yeah. No. And all of this is, don't forget, only falling 50 years after the famine in Ireland. Yeah. Like, and they say that after a nation has been devastated by something, it takes three or four generations to fully rebuild itself. Will it take three or four generations to rebuild the global community from from COVID-19? Has the global community been fully devastated? I hope not. I hope not. I I think that it'll take... I lo- I'd like to think that we, we worked hard enough and together enough, in a sense, that we were able to hit the nail on the head and not end up ravished and devastated by what's happened. Yeah. Like, I think we're, I know it's it's a horrible place we're in, but it's a lot better than it could have been. It is. It certainly is. And I think that's that's sort of a a, a good tail end of, of the discussion that hard times come again no more. OK, obviously they will. It's good to have the songs, though, because they really, they, uh, yeah, they really uplifting yeah it's uplifting and they bringing us into the mood it's do you think there's always a light at the end of the tunnel yes i want to say yes there will sorry foster there will be hard times again but but then there is always a light at the end of the tunnel yeah we'll hit the hard times but we'll beat them again yeah
I get knocked down, but I get up again. <laughs> you never gonna keep me down. Is that your Shanos? <laughs> Dustin the turkey, that is. If I turn it into Shanos, what would it be? <laughs> well, I get knocked down, but I get up again. I get knocked down. But I get up again, you'll never keep me down. Chinuel. Mahu, Mahu. <laughs> Manfar, Manfar. Yeah, I I really I really enjoyed working on this song and like it in, the, I think the thing that interested me the most about this song was the way that it traveled. It traveled yeah. to America. Like the idea, the melody, as we said, possibly came from Africa. Yeah. Because he learned it from the slaves. Yeah. So it possibly made, took the exact same journey as the banjo. It came from Africa to America and then Stephen Foster put words to it and sent it back to Ireland where it became a very, very popular Irish and Scottish folk song. And that's something that happened. Those journeys happened a lot in folk music. And I'd like to delve into that a lot more in other episodes too, like the the way traditions are shared and nurtured between different cultures and countries. Yeah. Yeah, I, de- definitely, and and that's that's one of the big ones here that that I really enjoyed uh, talking about, and that I'm looking forward to talk about more. Like, there's there's a reason for for the TV show Transatlantic Sessions being such a, a massive yeah. hit, and and a, a mm-hmm. show that's been going on Celtic Connections every year for for years and and still still is going and and uh, which this song featured on in 1995 i think it was this song was sung in let me check i'm just gonna check really fast this was on transatlantic sessions in what i think was the first series of transatlantic sessions actually for for people for people that don't know transatlantic sessions it's a it's a tv show uh roadshow albums uh cultural um, exchange musical exchange with american uh, artists and songwriters uh meeting up with musicians from the celtic music scene mainly ireland and, and scotland that play together and and uh play on each other's songs and it's it's fantastic mm-hmm. some some absolutely amazing versions of songs have come uh come out of of that show. Speaking of amazing versions of songs, this particular song, Hard Times Coming Again No More, featured in, as I said, series one of Transatlantic Sessions, and it was performed by an ensemble composed of Kate and Anna McGarrigal, Rufus Wainwright, Emmylou Harris, Mary Black, Karen Matheson, and Rod Patterson. Some really renowned musicians there, which is one of the beautiful things about Transatlantic Sessions. Like even when myself and Christian were at Celtic Connections in Glasgow in 2019 February 2019 we got the chance to go over there and we went to see Transatlantic Sessions live and it just it features some of the best folk musicians from around the world in any given generation it's absolutely fantastic fantastic. so if you want to check out that version of the song again it's Transatlantic Sessions Series 1 1995 and we'll probably mention that again like later on like some other fantastic versions of songs that have been featured in transatlantic sessions because it is a big influence on us and what we're definitely into. but but since we're since we're we're 
definitely coming close to to an end here. And uh, since we're talking about versions, you you said before when you suggested this song, you sent a very specific version to me that you you said you wanted to talk a little bit about. Oh yeah, like hands down, the absolute most gorgeous version of this song that I've ever come across is the Chieftains featuring Paula Natini, who is a very well known kind of modern i wouldn't call it pop but it's borderline kind of pop jazz folk he plays he has really interesting styles like he delves into everything paulo natini plays on the chieftain's album voice of ages and it's an album from 2012 and he sings this song with them backing him up and it's absolutely gorgeous like to me that is the definitive version of this song even though so many versions have come before by so many famous artists i think that's the one that stands out. And that's the one that, like I said, was played in the feature by RTE on New Year's in the cities around the world. And like Paddy Maloney on the Ellen Pipes. And at the very end of it, they bring in a pipe band. And that's the bit Christian loved. A full pipe band. I, yeah, I can I can really get behind that version for for that specific reason. I, I just, there's nothing that gives me more goosebumps when than when a a a folk song ends a version of a folk song ends with a full pipe core coming in and just really really bringing the the a game i love that so that's definitely the one to check out in my opinion anyway have you any other notable versions to mention no i i i don't uh i don't actually i i i can fully get behind the chieftains and uh, and 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 transatlantic sessions uh and uh, other than that i think that people should definitely just pick and choose a little bit because it's it, that's that's a really co- cool thing about mm. this specific songs that, that you can you can find a very celtic version if you want that and you can definitely find a very mm-hmm. uh, Am- americana version if that's what you're you're after so so that's that's nice there are versions of this song dating all the way back to the civil war in america so it's really interesting like i'd say there aren't many songs that have this extensive catalog of versions by such renowned artists all over the world and everyone makes it their own that's what that's what i love about this kind of stuff and about even the stuff we're doing delving into songs for these podcasts because you come across some really really cool versions of stuff that you might not have known existed final thoughts josh anything else you want to touch on i was interested in why wikipedia exclaims why does it feel it has to mention that it, the song includes one of foster's favorite images a pale drooping maiden <laughs> I don't even I have so I have so many questions about this statement like number one what is a pale drooping maiden what what does that constitute number two why is it so significant that Wikipedia names it as Foster's favorite images (laughs) you're uh... just just to give you a bit of context there folks while you're listening the third verse of the song is there's a pale drooping maiden who toils her life away with a worn heart whose better days are o'er. Though her voice would be merry, tis sighing all the day. Oh, hard times come again no more. Like, I, I was just curious about why that's the significant part that Wikipedia feels they need to mention. But 
that's a final thought for you there. But you're talking you're I you're talking about Wikipedia as as if it is like a a a, a, a just a faceless organization. The, it's important to remember that these are just random people that, <laughs> that have an intense interest <laughs> what in was Stephen the Foster. famous quote online Wikipedia is a fantastic resource. Anyone in the world can say anything they want about absolutely any topic. That way, you know, you're getting the absolute best information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, but but um, that <laughs> if people want to do some research into the into the pale drooping maiden, then then definitely drop us a line on <laughs> on any of our social medias. We'd be interested in knowing more about the pale drooping maiden. Yeah, and as as you know, folks, we are not historians, nor are we, nor do we claim to be experts on these things. This is just two young musicians delving into the world of folk songs and having a chat, basically. So, if you have any questions or comments, or if you want to give out to us or tell us we're wrong or tell us we're right, don't forget to get in touch at the place Christian already mentioned there. And um, yeah, if you have any suggestions of songs too, we would love to hear them, or suggestions of guests, or if anyone has anything else of interest that they want to tell us about we're all ears absolutely any communication even if you just want to say hey that's that's uh, fantastic we're we've just started out here so any just sign of life is is gonna it's gonna make our day so definitely drop us a line if you if you have a spare moment that's the story no I think that's that's about uh, that's about what we have today, Josh. And we'll be we'll definitely be back with more in uh, just a, a small little week. And until then, there's you telling me it's time for another cup yeah, of tea. Another cup of tea. I think I've exhausted my my pot. No, there's. Oh, I think if I, I've been uh, I've been having some fun there, folks. Uh, exploring not just folk songs but some nice little new types of tea as well i've been on the puka nighttime tea tonight i'm on the green tea and jasmine if you have any suggestions for uh special teas to try out let me know i think that i'm gone mad altogether here. i think that needs to be um a segment in every every episode actually what is josh drinking today and i'll 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 definitely <laughs> i'll definitely give my two cents i'm getting bored with that <laughs> No, that that's that it's gonna be good, and I'll give my two cents as well. But as you know, I'm 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 on the Barry's tea. I'll I'll make sure it, it's it's sort of a way of of pushing ourselves to to be more creative in our uh, in our uh, drinking choices. So uh, you know that you'll you're gonna get shit for it if you come back drinking the same thing next week. So that's that's always a, a good one. True. Yeah, but until we'll have to, we we might have to delve into some harder stuff on other weeks as well. <laughs> oh, when we have cause for celebration. Yeah, they'll they'll definitely be on. End. I happen to know that Christian has a nice little, uh, a nice little museum of whiskeys going on there in his basement, <laughs> and he would be more than happy to share with us some info about them. Oh, so if you're a whiskey lover, be sure to tune in. They'll uh, they'll. There is definitely a, a whiskey, uh, a whiskey uh, themed episode in the near future, talking about whiskey themed songs and talking about delightful whiskeys. I, I can promise you as much. 
But until then, until next time, there's only one thing that I would like to say, and that is... Tooraloo-raloo. Tooraloo-raloo. When there is a, um, uh, um, uh, I oh, sure fuck it. Um, <laughs>